Hi everyone, it's noon here. Just want to acknowledge that this episode is recorded during the war on Ukraine. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge all our Ukrainian and Russian colleagues and listeners, wishing you peace and love and thinking about you. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Compositional Podcast. I'm Noon. I am an engineer here at Twig. Uh, and with me today is Latoya. So, uh, welcome, Latoya. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Noon. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. So, um, we're going to talk... So, you have... Uh, currently completing a fellowship at Twig, uh, so we're going to hear all about your project um, and hopefully some other exciting things. But maybe just to get started, like how did you, like yeah, it'd be great to hear a little bit about you. Like, what's your background and what what brought you to Twig? Sure. So I actually started off in the arts. So I grew up in a very artistic family. And so by the time I reached uh, the university level, I wanted to be a professional dancer. And so I earned my bachelor's degree in dance performance, um, but realized pretty quickly that while I love the performing arts, I prefer building things versus performing. So that eventually led me to return back to school and uh, major in physics. So I'm an undergraduate student at Brooklyn College here in New York City and um, study physics as well as computational math. And that started my passion for uh, blending physics concepts such as quantum mechanics uh, along with uh, software engineering. And so then that eventually led me to find Tweak, where I was searching for some sort of program in which I could contribute to open source, contribute to open source, and uh, while also making sure that what I'm contributing contributes also to physics. Tweak seemed like a really great fit for what I wanted to do, and the fact that it provided um, solid mentorship and. Um, ability to just learn more about the company in addition to learning more about other software engineering concepts. So I applied and here I am uh, recording a podcast with my mentor. (laughs) Wow, that's so cool. That's really cool to hear about the dance background. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Did you, are you still in touch with any of your, your old um, dance colleagues? Actually, yes, that, that, the, I guess one of the few good things about Facebook is you can maintain contact with, uh, yeah. So we're still Facebook friends. We still check in on each other. Um, and it's interesting to see even their divergent pathways. Um, once we all graduated from, we went to new school university. So once we graduated from new school. Yeah. Has anyone else turned to physics? No. No, you're the <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. I yeah. did um, I did dance classes. There was a dance class I used to do in Melbourne. I lived in Melbourne, 
and they it was just for you know adults and total unprofessionals like myself but they would do a performance every six months mm-hmm. and um i would tell <laughs> my partner gala i was always convinced that obviously i'm a terrible dancer but i was always convinced that if i simply put in enough effort <laughs> i could become a good dancer <laughs> right my mom, my mom would always tell me like you know you can be anything you want <laughs> but gala my partner she would she was the one that would actually see me dance and she would say no <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> like she, I, she loves my dancing i think but she's like you're never going to become good <laughs> right right <laughs> Just better, but not Just good. Maybe mar- <laughs> marginally acceptable. <laughs> Did you notice like a difference in talent? Like, were there people that were naturally talented, or do you think people could become talented with enough effort? Ooh, that's a great question. So, there are a lot of things. So, I saw both. There are a lot of things that have to fall into place if you fall on the other side, meaning that. Um, you maybe you're not naturally talented, but maybe you, but really what it is is maybe you are, but you just have to cultivate it more so than someone else who, who is naturally talented. So there's certain things, for example, that are really hard to teach. One of them being musicality. If you don't have musicality, that's super tough. That's something I think that naturally occurs. Coordination, body awareness, that can be trained to a certain degree, but they'll have a much longer, harder road. The things that, so it's interesting in ballet, natural talent, part of it also includes what we call facility, which just means how much flexibility does your body naturally have in terms of your muscles, in terms of your tendons. And so that is something you can cultivate to a certain degree if you already kind of have that facility anyway. And that's actually what was, that was the case for me. So I did, you know, I did the normal take dance classes when you're five years old because your parents just put you in there. Um, It really wasn't until I was a teenager that I took it seriously. So I didn't put in as much work leading up to that point as other people did. So once I started taking it seriously, that's when the changes started happening where I became super flexible and was able to, you know, perform movements that I couldn't really perform in the past because I just wasn't strong enough. But I already had the natural coordination. I already had the natural flexibility. It was just putting in more work than other people needed to. And then there's some freaks of nature that have all of it. And then what's really upsetting is that's not the direction they want to go in. But they literally (laughs) have everything. They have the body shape. They have the turnout, which is when your feet are, you know, opened to 180 degrees. Oh, wow. And they're like, no, I don't want to dance. (laughs) What a waste. (laughs) Yeah. I I definitely, hearing you talk, then I realized the thing, I mean, among many things, I definitely don't have body awareness. (laughs) I remember, like, Gala constantly telling me, like, move your hips like this. And I'm like, I'm doing it. And she's like, you're (laughs) not. You're not at all. (laughs) And I'm watching. I'm like, how do you do that? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) My brain can't connect. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Um, But, yeah, cool. So 
Yeah, so it'd be really interesting to hear a bit more about your research interest in this in this quantum kind of space. So, so can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, one of the draws to physics for me was actually quantum mechanics. It came about when I was in chemistry class, believe it or not, and we came upon a chapter called quantum chemistry. And so, um, we. I rather, uh, for that was my first introduction to seeing Schrodinger, Schrodinger's equation, and that was when I was like, "What is this equation? This is what describes atoms and molecules and electrons." And so, in my naive mathness, decided I'm going to try to solve this equation. I didn't know what I was doing, but. That's what made me fall in love with physics because I love learning about quantum mechanics. I love learning about the things I can't see physically with my own eyes, um, but yet the fact that it has this huge impact in everything that we do from technology to um, what happens in in the universe to what happens even in our own bodies and in wildlife. So that made me switch over to physics and... Um, I've always had a, um, I always leaned towards building things, as I said before. And so I was very lucky in the fact that I grew up surrounded by technology. So my mom, she was in the Air Force and she got out by the time I was born. And what she did was uh, she used to build circuits. So she was obviously surrounded by technology. Um, So I remember... First time I went to school, she built my computer. Like it just wasn't even, you know, she didn't even think about it. It was, okay, I'm going wow. to build your computer because it's less expensive than buying you a computer, yeah. right? And she just decided to do it. Um, I So because of that background, um, I decided I needed to know how to program. So I started teaching myself. And then in addition to that, I started taking classes and programming and fell in love with it and wanted to figure out how to blend the two together. And so um, that's when I started. This is when the power of Google, you just start searching, you know, projects that blend either physics and computer science or physics or quantum mechanics and uh, software engineering. So... I completed projects in everything from learning how to analyze data that was collected by the Laser Interferometric Gravitational Observatory, um, because I have a whole tutorial about how to do that. And what was interesting about that was that was all designed uh, or written in Python 2 and didn't know about the whole different huge difference between Python 2 and Python 3. So that then that kind of morphed into a project that I made for myself, which was to translate the Python 2 to Python 3 and then release those instructions on GitHub so that if folks wanted to complete that project, they knew exactly what to do. Um, nice. Then from there, uh, still was searching, searching, searching. Um, and so I did, uh, of course, land upon quantum computing um, and took a course that was uh, put together by Q World, which is this international organization. You might be familiar with it, but they host 
uh, tutorials to help people learn about quantum computing, how to do it, um, because there's a growing need for programmers who know how to program a quantum computer. Um, and then on the higher level, there's a bigger, a growing demand for people who know how to uh, develop algorithms specifically for quantum computers. Yeah. So then that led to the Simons Foundation, where uh, last year I completed a summer research program. And the Simons Foundation, they are actually, like, that's their bread and butter, which is blending software engineering with whatever science, fill in the blank. So I was in the Center for Computational Quantum Physics. There you go. The yeah. blend of the two things that I love. And that's when this project that uh, I've been working on since last year and have been uh, doing so with Tweek, with you, Noon, as my mentor, to complete this project. Yeah, cool. Wow. That's a, <laughs> a big journey. Yeah. Out of, <laughs> out of interest, how did you find um, learning programming on your own? Like, do you think it was nice to also study it at the same time or do you think like the the courses were kind of missing something or how, how have you found that experience so i so i when i took my so i started off where i took programming a programming course and did not do well um and the reason being was that no, not so much that i didn't know I couldn't pick up the concepts that wasn't it what it was was I just took too much on it, I took that I took a couple other science courses that were super hard and it was working it was just too much so but because I was introduced to those concepts right that's when I decided to take a step back and start with Python so the programming course that I took originally was in C++ and that's a pretty demanding language if it's the first language you're learning. Yeah. So decided to learn Python. And I found that because I had been exposed to those computer science concepts or programming concepts, it felt easier, even easier to then apply those to Python. So I was able to pick it up really fast. Yeah. Um, I find that one of the interesting things with science and technology and just learning in general is that even if you don't if you, even if you fail or don't do well the first time just the fact that you're exposed i think primes your brain so that if you try it again the next time it's even easier to do what you were trying to do the first time uh, and so that's kind of how it felt yeah i so agree with you i still i have like two i remember i first learned um Haskell because one of my friends started the Haskell meetup in Melbourne and so then I I started attending the events and I saw the people talking and I just had absolutely no idea what they were saying <laughs> it was all nonsense yes <laughs> but it was still like it was still it was still useful to be there because like somehow ideas went into my head yeah. that like at a later point I could kind of refer back to them even though I didn't I didn't really understand mm -hmm. at the time. So so I totally agree. Like it's it's really useful. It's really useful to um yeah, like just to dive in no matter how no matter how it goes. Yeah. I, I remember I still like my kind of earliest programming memory 
is when I learned programming in TAFE. So this is like not like university. It's I don't know what they call it over there, but it but it's kind of like for people who didn't get good enough grades out of high school, they mm-hmm. don't go to university. They go to TAFE. Okay. And I remember in TAFE, the Java teacher showing me like public static void main string args, which is like the opening statement of a Java program. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he was like one day you will understand what all these words mean. And I was like, you are crazy. (laughs) I will never, ever in my life understand all those words. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's such a funny, funny, funny memory. Yeah. Okay, wow. So the Simons Foundation, that's a super, super famous organization in the quantum computing world. As I understand it, they do heaps of work. Is that right? So you must have met some cool, cool people there. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. And th- and that's where... So, so where did your kind of like love of chemistry start? Because, you, you know, I'm not sure we've talked about it yet, but your project is in the chemistry space. So, so where did that come about? What's interesting about that is I did not love chemistry at first. But that was because, again, exposure. I never took a chemistry course in high school. And so that was my literal crash course in all things chemistry with first year chemistry. Um, So it took a little bit for me to love it, but I've realized the reason why I love it is the fact that it's a much clearer bridge, I think, between physics and software engineering. And so the challenge with physics is that you you are given... The way it's normally structured is that with the course is that you are introduced to a concept and then you spend a lot of time learning about the assumptions that are needed to then derive this final equation. And then you're just expected to go off and figure out how to apply that equation to all different kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. And so there's some points where it's the, the assumptions are very hand wavy and I don't always do well with hand wavy. I like Mm. clarity, whereas in software engineering, you need clarity in order to be able to program your computer. So that's That's where chemistry comes in. Chemistry is, it's very clear. It's, these are the different pieces of the puzzle that you are working with, and you have to figure out how to arrange the puzzle to get your final result. That's essentially what you're doing in programming. And so Mm. quantum chemistry is a really nice blend between the two because you're using uh, quantum mechanics concepts but applied in a much more concrete way which can then be much more easily translated to um, modeling those systems using software engineering. That's really interesting. Yeah, I've always felt like, frankly, guilty (laughs) that I don't really understand like the kind of chemistry stuff and so that's a really, like, I often, because I did a, um, a master, no, an undergrad degree in physics, but I almost don't like to tell people because they, they're going to assume I know, like, chemistry, <laughs> like, there's some kind of <laughs> physics thing. And it's like, yeah. I literally know nothing. Like, like, all I know <laughs> is what I can type into a computer, basically. Right. So, so like, one, one day it would be cool to... Yeah, I, re- I really, and I, I mean, honestly, like that's that's what I've really enjoyed about our project together is is like kind of getting, you know, exposed to all this cool chemistry stuff that you're 
that you're working on. So uh, yeah. So yeah, okay. So so that's kind of why you got you got a bit excited about the chemistry because it like made made things a bit more real and like let you have something a bit tangible to um, to kind of engage in this this quantum software programming. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really nice. And um, so yeah, do you want to tell us like a little bit about the like you know I guess our audience is a kind of a functional programming audience but um you know they're here because they're interested in quantum chemistry right (laughs) i'm going to assume hello listeners um (laughs) so uh yeah it'd be really great to have like yeah a little bit of detail about like the 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 project you've been working on and like sure where you see it going and what you're excited about definitely um so essentially there are these two Python software packages or Python software libraries that are used, especially within quantum chemistry slash material science. Um, and as an aside, material science is the study of materials, but you're studying them um, as far as the quantum effects that occur um, and how can we use that to our advantage to build better materials. So. The thing with, especially in material science, is that it can be very expensive to build prototypes. So what material scientists do and quantum chemists, what they do as well, is they create simulations. Um, And they create those simulations using the already available Python packages. So the Python packages that I was working on were the uh, atomic simulation environment and that is a front-end framework that cre- has a huge dictionary or huge list of um, commonly studied atoms, molecules, etc. You can also perform calculations with them. Uh, there's a lot of different types of approximations. So kind of veering back to the Schrodinger equation, once you get beyond a hydrogen atom, you can't solve it exactly. You can't get to do all the algebra things to get to a final answer. You have to start making certain assumptions. And so that's where the approximation comes in. Um, So for the atomic simulation environment, what's great about it is that it's flexible enough to do all of your research using the abbreviation for it is ASE. Mm -hmm. But if you want to use your preferred uh, package, Python package that performs its own calculations, ASC has a list of packages that allows the two to talk to one another together. Mm-hmm. So uh, one example, of course, is Quantum Espresso. Quantum Espresso, mm-hmm. you can perform different types of electronic structure calculations. And what that just means yeah. is um, you are, let's say, studying a carbon nanotube and you. what happens if you add an extra electron on top of the surface? They call that doping. Just a very okay. strange name, but they call it yeah. doping. Um, and what energy, what's the energy that you can get from that? That's what they mean by electronic structure calculations. Nice. So um, for my project, I wanted to connect this other package called the Python-Based Simulations Chemistry Framework, abbreviated PySCF. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so PiCF is normally used by quantum chemists because that has other types of calculations that you can do when it comes to molecular dynamics. So things like studying liquids, uh, studying gases, that sort of thing. Um, but that's on top of the normal calculations. So the goal was to connect the two together so that a scientist, an undergraduate, anyone could import ASE, use the atoms that are available in ASE, also import PiCF because it's super easy to use to then do uh, to perform electronic structure calculations. That's cool. I just had a very amusing and stupid analogy pop up in my head is mm-hmm. when you were describing like how these two you describe like electronic structure calculations like you've got uh, some carbon nanotube did you say and then like you add an electron to it. I was yeah. imagining like when you're connecting these two open source uh uh libraries together it's like it's like making a new atom out of like two independent open source atoms (laughs) yeah definitely chemistry of open source yes exactly that's exactly (laughs) what happens (laughs) and let's see what the the final result is of this uh connection yep that's that's cool that's um that's yeah and so how have you found like is is this like chemistry well i guess yeah you played you did python before but like how have you found that the like this little particular subgenre of the open source ecosystem you know and and have you explored like the broader quantum ecosystem like is the quantum chemistry section like mature in your view or does it is it missing mm-hmm. some things i'd be really keen on your opinion that's a really good question it is I think because of the nature of the fact that it's really useful, oh, sorry, it's really useful to have, uh, to develop uh, a simulation of what could happen to a said material that you're studying before the engineer actually builds the material. Because of that, I think that quantum chemistry and material science is much further ahead in terms of um, the computational side compared to other branches of physics, excluding oh, like yeah. particle physics, of course. Yeah. And high energy physics. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Th- so, oh, I see. So you're saying like it's kind of got like a very, um, it's like pragmatically necessary because you can't have people in as far as I know, the labs like with tweezers grabbing atoms and like squishing them onto other right, things. Right, exactly. <laughs> that gets very expensive yeah. <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> I always think uh, surely someone out there is working on that. Like I, you, you don't hear much, of, you know, in the world you hear people talking about nuclear fusion or something, mm-hmm. you know, but like I always, like where is the people I'm sure they're out there, but the people that are working on the little things that like plug and play different atoms into, into stuff. Yeah, Maybe they do them. Um, what is it? They 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 study nanoscience. Oh, nanoscience. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. I have f- friends studying nanoscience. They're going to be annoyed at me. <laughs> <laughs> forgot what their <laughs> forgot what their field was. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I love that. Maybe I should go back and study nanoscience. Um. Yeah, cool. So, are there, like, how do you see, 
you're involved like are you going to keep going down this research path or are you, are you kind of interested in other stuff that you're going to explore like what does the you know the kind of near to medium term future look like for you like what are you up to oh it's a really good question um so I would say that right now I kind of have a little bit of shiny object syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of that phrase before. So I'm interested in a lot of things. So I'm still interested in quantum computing. Um, I'm become more interested in high performance computing. I've been able to do, you know, small calculations using the high performance computing cluster at the Simons Foundation. And... I'm really keen to learn more about its infrastructure and about its software packages that it used to uses to manage everyone's, you know, everyone's research that they're performing on it. Um, I am interested in molecular science. So it's, it's slightly different in the fact that you're studying, you're, you're much more focused on molecules and less focused on individual atoms and individual electrons. Um, they have, so there's a really good um, ecosystem. It's a small ecosystem, but it's really strong. It's really robust where they actually have these courses that are designed to really get you up to speed with not only uh, proper software engineering practices, but also to how to apply those practices to studying molecules. Um, I think once this project is done, I'm leaning towards quantum computing as the next project. I know it's very broad, but I don't know what the individual project will be. Um, But the other thing too, going back to shiny object syndrome is much more so in the summer, I'm really interested in learning more about functional programming. Ah, um, really? Yeah. So with <laughs> all <decision>. of the, yeah, <laughs> with all of the different conversations I've had, both with you and with other Twee uh, colleagues, functional programming, just that type of framework, seems to just match much better with how scientists think of a problem. And... Versus how it is now, where you have a research question, you develop a hypothesis, and now you have to translate that to object-oriented programming, which yeah. is, it's very different, right? It's a very different way of thinking about your research problem. Um, and so I'm really interested to explore how can functional programming be incorporated into computational science, especially within physics, um, so that's something I'll probably do on my own in the summer. There's, um, yeah, so that and probably in in the meantime, learn Haskell to that's really be able cool. to test that. That's so cool. That's so cool. I was just thinking like, I, there's, I know there's a name for this thing, but I've, maybe it's called like the Mario syndrome or something. I can't remember now. But um, I remember when I was first learning object-oriented programming, I think you look around the world and you're you're trying to go like how could i structure this as a class hierarchy right <laughs> you know it's like i'm looking at my table and chair right now and it's like 
is a chair a kind of table? <laughs> or is a table a kind of chair? <laughs> like, <laughs> I can sit on both of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, who's, who's to say? It's, it's so funny. Like, I love that. I love, I find that such a quirk of, of human nature that, like, you, like, something is totally invisible to you. And then until you start thinking about it, then it's everywhere. <laughs> and you're yes. like, what's going on? <laughs> it's really cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, and I was actually curious because, like, so from the little bit of time I spent out in the quantum computing world, like, I know people are super keen. Like, kind of quantum chemistry is is one of the most kind of exciting places, if you will, for quantum computing. So, is that is that kind of where you think your interest in quantum computing might lie, or is it, or is it more in the, you know, I know we've talked a little bit in previous conversations about like the theory side of quantum you know mm-hmm. quantum computing which i personally quite get quite excited about so or yeah do you have thoughts on on those areas yeah um so i i i'm more interested in moving towards the theory side of quantum computing um i have found that i like learning about how things work versus studying versus saying okay if i add this electron to this material what will happen yeah i like looking yeah, under the yeah. hood of things yeah. yeah and then using that information to either improve upon it or to help other people scientists whomever to then uh improve upon their projects yeah i totally 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 know what you mean i think like it's my kind of (laughs) like i wish i was smart like i love these people that are able to kind of like look at something and give it a totally new perspective Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like i think that is so amazing and like i can't i can't do that i don't know what happens when i look at something i don't give it a new perspective i think i just i don't i don't who knows what kind of skill i have but like i think some people have that skill and i remember i still remember reading this um i only half read it but this person tay danae bradley wrote a thesis about quantum compute did you see that was about quantum computing and probability theory or something and like she kind of really just made this like really neat connection between um yeah probability theory and the way people talk about quantum computing with these density matrices and something and like her explanations were just inc- like they were so good that like even I could understand it and right. I was like well this is amazing <laughs> and it was just it was just like it makes me so you know it makes me so happy that there are people like that because there are there are other people that write these like incredibly complicated books and you're like well from page one, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> like, why did I even? I regret opening this book. It was a mistake. <laughs> like, maybe I can return it. <laughs> you know, I'm really grateful for the people that do that kind of work. So I think that's that's really that's really cool to hear that that's yeah that absolutely want to do. Um, it, yeah, along those lines, I'd be curious. Like, do you think there's um, like from your time in the quantum computing community do you think there's areas of that ecosystem that are like under utilized or like people are spending time too much time on certain aspects like do you have any view about 
where and how the quantum computing community should be like placing their energy? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so far from what I've seen and read, there's, I do kind of feel like there's this really big gap between the huge interest and excitement with quantum computing and then the academic side of quantum computing. And so I think if there's a way, and I think that's happening now too, because there are a lot of professors and scientists and master students who share their work very freely um, with the the quantum computing community. Um, But I think honing that even more will put the quantum computing community, I think, at an advantage compared to, honestly, all the other branches of science. Because one of the beautiful things about quantum computing is the fact that there's, it's not something that's just reserved for academics. Mm. There are people across the planet who love quantum computing, are super passionate about it, who complete projects on their own, who complete workshops, who talk about it all the time. And that is something that, honestly, a lot of the other branches of science, apart from maybe astrophysics, Mm. has, right? That's its advantage. And I think taking advantage of the fact that we can have these two so-called disparate communities and can uh, bring those two together, connect those two together, I think if that connection itself is strengthened even more, that will send quantum computing up exponentially in terms of um, making sure that, who knows, each person can have their own individual quantum computer. Because you just have so many different minds and so many different perspectives that can come together to push this area forward much more so than pretty much almost any other science yeah that's such a cool thought like i never i never thought about that i was i was thinking like i think you explained that really well like you're not wrong like that there's certainly a lot of kind of interest in in quantum computing quantum mechanics that would be so nice to harness and i was just thinking like <laughs> to my most hated maths class you know which was the subject measure theory <laughs> and i have right. never you know measure theory as as i'm sure you know but maybe some of this is 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 the um theory of the things that are integrable <laughs> like what can you integrate and like it's kind of to do with counting and it's mm-hmm. like i have never met a member of the public in my life that would care about or be interested in measure theory <laughs> right <laughs> and like the measure theory people are probably sad about that they're like oh damn if only people would be more interested like mm-hmm. <laughs> our field could really go crazy <laughs> like yes measuring all kinds of things <laughs> but you're not wrong like quantum quantum computing has like an incredible um you know, luxury of interest in that, in that perspective. So to be so, um, so cool to harness that really. Is that something you think you might work on at some point or like, do you know cool people that are doing work, work in that area? Um, that is something that I am interested in. So 
because of my background in terms of professionally as well, because I've done a lot of science communication. Um, oh, okay. Uh, I think it takes having more having more science communicators to help bridge the two. Um, so, for example, I have attended virtually, of course, I've attended, uh, you know, a few quantum computing talks. And there's a stark difference between an academic giving a talk where I would say 95% of it just goes over my yeah. head. And then there's others where they are a lay person who you know, really put in the time and the effort to really learn and understand what they're doing. Um, they just may not have the academic, quote unquote, academic background. Um, and they'll give a talk. And obviously, I will understand it. Many people will understand what they're sharing. Um, but it doesn't have the quote unquote credential to then, you know, have that information or, um, to have that information then be integrated even more so and taken upon by someone else to then further to add additional layers to what they've already just studied. Because that's what yeah. typically happens in science. You have this one person who has this theory that they have then tested with a hypothesis. They have so far found it to be true. So then they hear other people hear about it. They go and then they add an additional layer to that to then keep pushing the, the, the science forward, right? Totally. So, yeah. Yeah, it's something I think I read. I Again, something I half read. I think there's this... Have you heard of this book called The Poetics of Space? No, um, but that sounds it, great. It's like a classic architecture book. I forget who wrote it. Someone someone very, very famous. Mm -hmm. But um, And I think it's in that book that they talk about this idea of like, um, I can tell you something right like i can tell you like i love chess right and you can hear me and you can go like yeah yeah noon loves chess <laughs> like so what <laughs> but it's like how do i convey to you the feeling that is in my heart when mm -hmm. i say that and i think it's like if you have the ability to do that kind of communication like it's so incredible because it's like it's it, it's like such a magical thing I think to be able to like you know you can kind of like because teaching something to someone is already like a very very hard skill but yes. then you know kind of like well maybe you inspire them and like that well that's that's also an achievement like you inspire them to do something but I think like somehow like conveying like the I think the book calls it like the inner fire of your mm -hmm. your thought I think I find that like so interesting and I think about that all, all the time like I don't I don't know how to do it but I think it's it's like it's really cool to think about yeah um, yeah so maybe like just as a you know just coming close to wrapping up here like do do you have um, any you know inspirational thoughts or otherwise like for anyone that's looking to follow in your footsteps you know like getting into quantum computing or chemistry or, or open source software absolutely I would say for anyone interested in open source software, quantum computing, just any sort of especially technical or scientific interest is to, number one, just start. I think that 
one of the things that's kind of a shame is that especially here in the United States, I'm sure too in the UK, failure and or not feeling like an expert as soon as you start can stops a lot of people from even trying. Yeah. And part one of the beautiful things, especially in soft software engineering side, is that you are constantly failing <laughs> because oh. your your program breaks all the time, oh. and you have to figure out how to not have it break, <laughs> and then from there figure out how to then make it better and not just work right. So try, and then also too, um, one of the things that's near and dear to my heart as well um, to kind of layer on top of that is making sure that more black and brown people become interested in quantum computing because that has I mean there are, there's definitely a huge interest in Africa um, but mm -hmm. much more so in the United States because the potential that we have collectively by adding additional voices again to the quantum computing world um, and the fact that the barrier to entry thanks to like IBM and some other uh, companies with making having quantum computing available to people in general um, is vital I think to pushing the field forward so just starting and then from there Finding a mentor, in addition to that, doing it constantly and meaning programming as much as you can, whether it's on your phone, on a computer, or if you're a science major, what I had to do in order to get my brain to think like a scientist was I just had to do science. And it sounds simple and easy and it's not. And yeah. as a quick tip for science students, I recommend Shams Outlines. So it's Sham S C H A U M S apostrophe S. But what's great about those outlines, especially for beginning science students, and especially if you may not have had the strongest background in physics, computer um, physics and chemistry, etc., is that it has the typical problems that are asked in your classes and they have the solutions. So you yeah. can actually practice what is the thought process that you have to go through to reach your final answer. So literally just being okay with drilling every day or every other day, um, just doing the thing that you like to do a lot will just naturally make you better over time. And then along the way, as you're trying to get better, seek out those mentors, uh, whether it's your professor or even another student who's just further along to give you that extra insight that you may be missing when you're trying to solve problems. Yeah. Yeah. Those are really great, really great thoughts. I was just, I just realized, I was just thinking maybe, maybe the next step for me is to get a dance mentor. <laughs> <I could, laughs> and there's still a chance. <laughs> yes, there's run. always a chance. We need <laughs> all kinds of dancers. <laughs> still, still time. It's not too late. No, that's, no. Um, that's uh, yeah, that's that's really, really, really nice thoughts. Um, yeah, and it's been a real pleasure working with you on the project as well. So I've had um, a really great time and thanks for 
been a been a part of Tweak. Um, yeah, it's been really really nice. And thanks for coming on the show. It's been really great to hear hear about your project and your background and your 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 thoughts on everything. So, thanks for joining us here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. See you later. See you later. Thank you.